we are um, uh, talk, been talking about choices since the first part of, uh, of the year, talking about what uh, our future holds for us, and, and a lot of what our future holds depends on the choices we make. Uh, the details of our life probably doesn't depend too much on the choices, but the direction of our life. I can drive out here today and somebody can turn in, in, in my lane and we can have a car wreck. That wouldn't have been my choice, but I will determine how I deal with that. Uh, I have a choice on how I deal uh, with that. And so in a very large measure, we determine our future by the choices that we make uh, in our lives. And there's been so many accounts of that, and we could preach a whole 52 Sundays on this if, if I chose to, uh, but we won't. Um, but what I've been trying to say to you in, in a general way is that your choices, not your circumstances, determine your future. They really don't. Um, it's kind of cool nowadays to be a victim and, and, and somehow say that because of this thing that happened to me that, that I'm this way and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that's, that's not necessarily the case at all. Our circumstances affect our lives. Obviously, there's no question uh, about that. But our circumstances do not determine our lives. Our choices that we make determine our lives, and so in a large measure, determine the type of uh, future that we're going to have uh, as well. There's so many scriptures that talk about that. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse six is just one of them, and it says, "Remember this." And this is usually taught in a financial way, but it has so much more application than just finances. Yes, it has financial application. But as we sow to the Spirit, and sowing to the Spirit means nothing more than doing things that please God. As we sow good things, if we sow sparingly, then we're going to reap sparingly. Every farmer in here knows that. If you throw a little seed in the ground, you're going to reap a small harvest. Everybody knows that. Okay? And then whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So as I sow to God's Spirit, as I make good choices in my life, sowing good seeds, uh, I will uh, reap a good harvest. My future, in large part, is determined by the choices I will make. You are not a victim. You are not a victim of your circumstances. And some of you have been through difficult circumstances, more difficult than I have been through. But because God has given us the ability to choose, we can overcome those circumstances. And I'm not saying that it would, would be easy to do that, but we don't have to claim victimhood status. Now, what, I'm, what I want to talk to you today is, is, is we, we hear... If you've been around the church very long, you've heard people talking about God opening doors. And that sounds very spiritual to say, and, and uh, it, it's, it's biblical. But I, I want to talk about that my future will be shaped about the door, much by the doors that I walk past, the doors that I walk through, and the doors that I shut. I teach preaching, and if I was ever... I talked about sometimes being able to put the sermon in a sentence. And if I was going to put this sermon in a sentence, I would say my future is shaped by the doors which I walk past, the doors that I walk through, and the doors that I shut in my life. And I'm going to take some time this morning to kind of flesh that out. Each door represents a choice 
in, in our life. Just because there's a door that may be open there doesn't mean that I automatically go through that. I must choose to walk through that as well. Each door represents a decision that I make. Every open door is not a good one. Every open door is not from God. And I've got to choose these doors that I walk through. And that's not an easy process. And that's some of the things that we're going to talk through today. The Bible talks about doors as being opportunities that God has given you. At least some doors to be opportunities that God has given you. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And he says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord opened a door for me. You know what? If the Lord doesn't open a door for you, you ain't going nowhere spiritually, okay? This is all of God's grace. God will draw you. God will woo you. God will open doors for you. You have the free will to make the decision to walk through that, but you must have God to open doors for you. If, 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 if not, then it's just all me, and it's just all my own self-righteousness, and it's, it's my own working. And, and all of us have done this, haven't we? We've kicked doors open, haven't we? And we fell flat on our face. Because that wasn't necessarily a door that got it open, but it's a door that I wanted to go through. So I just kicked it open, because I can. I have free will to do that. When the Bible talks about positive doors, talks about open doors, it talks about doors that God opens for us spiritually. And we are in desperate, desperate, desperate need for God to open doors for us. As, as I'm retiring in a year and a half and the church board is going through process and they've been meeting and they're processing names and so forth and so on and watching People preach on Facebook and doing all their due diligence and all of that. They need God to open the door for the right man to be able to come here and take this position. They're desperately in need of God to open doors and to close doors in this whole process. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and, and 9 Paul writes, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me. But then there's a comma, and there are many who oppose me. Don't think an open door is going to be easy. Don't think just because God has opened a door for you that it's going to be all wine and roses. It ain't. There's just no evidence of that at all in Scripture. Anything we will do worthwhile in Scripture is portrayed as something that we will have some opposition on. So don't think that just because I'm having a rough go at it, don't think that it, this has just not been smooth sailing all the way, that, that you took the wrong route. No. No, the Apostle Paul, God had opened a door for the Apostle Paul to be able to finally sail to Rome. And if you read that story in the end of the book of Acts, the whole ship exploded and fell apart because of the storm and the high winds. And Paul said he made it to shore hanging on to a piece of wood. Uh, that was an open door guy. Okay. And he made it to shore after that, the storm 
busted open the, open the ship just hanging on to a piece of wood. Uh, open doors doesn't mean it's going to be easy. <laughs> Paul says, I, I know God is opening a door for effective work here, but there's many here that don't want this door open. There's, there's many here that oppose. Colossians chapter 4, verse, verse 3, Paul also writes, said, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, which is the reason I'm in change, which Paul means is the reason I'm in jail. It's the reason I'm in prison. Pray that God will open a door. If God doesn't open the door, then I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything spiritually. If there was ever a door that ended up being wide open for me back in 2010, it was to come pastor this church. And those of you that have been in this church long enough know that I didn't want to come pastor this church. God had to convince me that this was an open door. God had to knock me over the head and say, hey, dummy, I've opened a door for you here. And even against my resistance, God made it abundantly clear to me that this is what that he had for me. And looking back on it, obviously, it's been the best decision that I could have ever made as far as ministry goes. Pray for God to open doors. If not, you just got to rely on kicking them open. I'll just kick it open. And when you kick doors open, you end up doing what you want to do, whether it's the right thing to do or not. I'll just kick it open. Because I can. Because I can kick it open if I want. And you can too. God, if you want me to do this, if you want me to go into this business, if, if you want me to marry this girl, if you want me to fill in the blank, would you, would you open a door for me? Would you communicate? Would you... Make me know that this door is actually an open door because sometimes it's not easy to tell and we're going to talk about that. So some doors are opportunities from God, but some doors are distractions. There are some doors that are distractions. They're not bad. They're, they're, they're not sinful, but they're probably not best. You know, some of the toughest decisions are the decisions between good and best. It's not hard to choose between good and bad. Anybody with half a brain can choose between good and bad. The, the hard decision is between good and best. And, and sometimes it may be a good door, but it'll be a door that, that distracts me from right now what should be the most important thing in my life right now. I told the story in the first service. I've told it to you before. I mean, you, you know our story. We, we adopted two children. We weren't able to have kids in a natural way. And, and so we had adopted Christopher. He's nine months old. And Sue was just learning how to be a mom. And, and there came an opportunity for us to adopt two girls, aged 12 and 9. And, you know, being, me being a guy and wanting to fix problems, I said, man, we, we, our problem's fixed here. We got two girls and a guy. Let's just do it. But Sue was just learning how to be a mom. And so she was going to have a nine-month-old and then have a 12-year-old girl getting ready to go in puberty and then a nine-year-old girl. And she just didn't, she felt like it would be too much. I just thought her problem was solved. I didn't see any big deal about it, you know. But 
See, that wouldn't have been a bad thing. It wouldn't have been a horrible thing to, to adopt those two girls. It probably worked out. But at that moment, it wasn't the best. And God took care of those girls. They went to a great family. And, but for us, and probably more so for, for, for Sue, learning how to be a mom, gaining confidence as a mom, and all that kind of stuff, you know, that us guys don't understand. She needs some more time before she took on a 12 and 9-year-old as well. That door would have been a distraction for us. Oh, we'd have sucked it up and made it work. Yeah, we would have. But it would have been a distraction. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. Would have been a good thing to take two girls out of foster care and put them in there. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It wouldn't have been the best for us. God took care of those girls. God took care of those girls. There are doors that end up being distractions for us. One of the big distractions that we all have is our thoughts. Am I the only one who thinks some really weird stuff? I mean, odd stuff can come into my mind. Do you know that everything that comes into your mind is not true? Everything that comes into your mind, everything that you think about it, any stray thought that just pops in your mind, doesn't mean it's true. You don't have to linger on it. You don't, even, you don't have to think about it. You can say, well, that's about the most stupid thing I've ever thought in my life. Where did that come from, God? Well, I don't know. Maybe it came from the devil. Maybe it came from my flesh. Maybe it came from my sinful nature. I don't know where it came from. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. I, it just, it's just weird, man. Look, some of you are too self-righteous to admit that, aren't you? It's just weird. And that's why Paul says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our thoughts can be a distraction for us. And my mind can go... I bet that looked good on the video. But when that weird thought comes into my mind, Paul says, grab it. Grab it. Take it captive. That has nothing to do with my Christian life. That is not godly thinking. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it was the devil, my flesh, my sinful nature. I have no clue where that came from. But I'm grabbing that, and I'm not lingering on that thought. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Everything you, th everything you think is not true. Every thought you have is not good. doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're an evil person. It means that our brains are weird, man. Who can figure them out? I got things that pop into my head that I never tell anybody. And I'm an ordained pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. But it doesn't bother me because I take it captive. I grab it. I just don't let, don't let it take and run with it. 
I said, well, that's about the most stupid thing in the world. Our thoughts can be big distractions for us. We, we were at the Apologetics Conference yesterday, and one of the best breakout sessions was a guy talking about social media. and Just the, the hold social media has on us. Unbelievable. And, and I'm not preaching against social media. You're not hearing me say that. I'm not preaching against social media. But I'm telling you, it can be a big distraction. From what's the main thing, well, what the priority should be in my life. Distractions, doors, doors that are kind of open, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a horrible door. It's not a sinful door, but it's not the door for me at this time in my life. How many doors did you people have when your kids were young that you could not walk through just because you had your hands full with kids? Now your kids have flown the coop. They're gone out on their own. Now that open door may be okay for you. It would have been a distraction earlier because you had kids to raise, man, and this had to be your number one priority. And anything else would have distracted you from that. But now the kids are on their own. They're educated. They're out on their own. And maybe this door is now appropriate for you. It was just the wrong time when that door was first opened for you. The first time. Choosing doors that are best and not just doors that are good are really important. Michael Hyde is a businessman. He writes this about social media or just distractions. I can't imagine living in a more distracted time in human history. Hundreds of cable channels. Millions of websites and the constant pinging of email and social media all compete for our attention. Not, not horrible things. Nothing wrong with email. There's nothing wrong with YouTube. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with Instagram unless it's used in a wrong way. But even a good thing can be used to distract me to what is the most important thing there are doors in our life that we must choose either to walk past either to walk through or sometimes there's doors we need to shut there's doors we need to shut and this is a whole sermon in and of itself but can I tell you that don't open the door for Satan in your life. Don't open the door for the devil. Paul says, don't give him a foothold. Ephesians 4.27. Don't give him an inch because he'll take a... It may not be a horrible thing, but it's something the devil can take and distract you and get you not focused on what you need to be focused on Paul says don't give him a foothold in your life don't allow him to get into your life shut that door if it needs to be shut and man there's a lot of application right here there's a lot of application right here 
in the very context of this passage of Scripture. Paul says in verse 26, the previous verse, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So you, you've heard all kinds of secular marital counselors talk about don't go to bed angry. It's biblical advice, friends. They won't tell you that it is. It's biblical advice. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do, you give a devil a foothold. Resolve things as quickly as you possibly can. There, there are some doors we just have to shut and say no. No. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians, talks about an unbelievably important door that we need to shut. A way that we don't give the devil a foothold and to get into our life in some way. Paul writes, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I forgive in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And one of his huge schemes is unforgiveness. One of his strategies to make you bitter, to make you a person that no one be around, to make your heart hard, is that you harbor unforgiveness in your life. Paul says, we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of his strategy. So I don't give him a foothold. So I don't harbor bitterness. I don't harbor unforgiveness. Because he'll take that. He'll take that. He'll take that inch. And it'll blossom into something that I had no clue that it was going to blossom into. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold. I've, I've told you the story before. I was saved when I was 34. Been in the church all my life, but not to the age of 34 did I come to the claims of Christ personally myself and was born again. And when I came to Christ, I was a, I was a big-time gambler. Loved it. I was a math teacher, so I could figure out the odds. Would not guarantee that I would win, but when the cards were bad, it lessened my losses. Figured it out. That's how some people do it for a living. You can figure those stuff, things out. But then I got saved. I went looking for a do not gamble verse. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Yeah, there's verse on be a good steward of your money, but I, I saw Christians driving $80,000 pickup trucks too. So I, I mean, Thou shalt not gamble. 
Couldn't find it. But I decided to shut that door. Not because sitting down at a blackjack table sends you to hell. Of course, it doesn't. You do know that. This Christian life is a whole lot bigger than that, right? You do know that. But all the things that surround gambling certainly was not taking me closer to Jesus. Certainly was not making me more mature as a Christian. Certainly was not taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So I shut the door on that. Not because going playing blackjack and throwing down a $10 chip is, is sending me to hell. It's just because all these other stuff, man, if I, get, I can get bogged down all this other stuff and I'd be way out in a far country. There was, there, there was no do not gamble verse. Do not go to Caesar's palace in Las Vegas. No, I couldn't find it. But it would have been a foothold that would have got my mind going other places that didn't need to go. Now, there's a whole lot of other application I could talk about right there. About things that are not necessarily horrible things in your life, but they ain't taking you closer to Jesus. They're not making you a more godly man or godly woman. They're not helping you take every thought captive. There's doors that God opens for you. There's distraction doors that you need to walk past. And there's some doors you need to shut. And say, nope, not doing that because that'll give him a foothold in my life. Mm. We could talk about, we could, we, could, we could start listing them, friends, for a month of Sundays. Not horrible things. Maybe not even sinful things. But it's not making me a more Christ-like person. So it sounds all well and good to say this and, you know, it's, you know, amen. But, you know, what's the YBH? You know, I tell my preachers in class, you know, your, your congregation is yelling, yes, but how do I do that? And you got to tell them. Yes, I agree with you, Mark, but how do I choose between doors that I walk through and doors that I must walk past? The doors I need to shut, they're kind of self-evident. And the only reason I don't shut it is because, frankly, I don't want to walk through it. I, I kind of know those. That's just an obedience issue. But there's some discernment issues on doors that I need to walk through and doors that I need to walk past. It's discernment. It's, it's, it's allowing God to help you make good decisions I picked this quote up yesterday at the apologetics conference. It's a, it's a quote of Charles Spurgeon, and I didn't put his name up there. Discernment is not choosing between right and wrong. It's choosing between almost right and right. Anybody can choose between right and wrong. That's an obedience issue. 
That's a willful issue. But choosing between right and almost right takes discernment. That's, that's the distraction door, you know? It's not really wrong. It's almost right, but maybe at that time in my life, what almost right is wrong. Because it's not right. Discernment is not choose between right. Anybody with a half a brain can choose between right and wrong. That's an obedience issue. That's a willful issue. But, but right and almost right is hard. It's hard. First John 4, chapter 1. John writes to us, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Everything that flies through your mind, every preacher that comes on the TV, everything that you may read in a book, every YouTube video that you may see where some preacher says that, you got to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone off into the world. They're everywhere. Every, I just heard about them the first service. I, I don't have time to go into it, but somebody that that went to a Methodist church in Columbus. You know, Columbus is, inner city Columbus is extremely liberal, and you can imagine what was going on at that United Methodist Church, an extremely liberal Columbus, with a big rainbow flag out in front. Don't believe every spirit. You've got to test them. You've got to discern them. You've got to pray about them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, Paul writes, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Well, what does love have to do with knowledge and depth of insight? Love is just love. Knowledge and depth of insight, that sounds boring. But if you don't have knowledge and depth of insight, you'll just say things like, well, love is love. Love is love. And your love will be misdirected because there will be no knowledge or depth of insight or discernment in, in love. So how is it you know what doors you walk through and what doors you need to walk Pass. Well, one thing is that God will never open a door that contradicts his word. Never. Will never open a door that contradicts his word. Never. This is the filter for everything we do. Don't come talk to me about it. Go read your Bible about it. Okay? One thing I'm going to do is tell you what the Bible says. You can read that yourself. It's the filter. You may not like what it says. I may not like what it says, but God will never open a door for me that will contradict, be in opposition to what he has already said. One of the first passages of Scripture I memorized as a young Christian was Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. The writer says, My son, if you will accept my words... 
and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you search for it as for silver, look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then, 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 you will understand the fear of the Lord. Why do you have to understand the fear of the Lord? Because it's the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.9. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I just, I love him. But he's not a Christian. And God says you cannot marry outside the faith. Your decision has been made for you. Your only decision now is whether to be obedient to God's word or not. An open door will never. How many many people have been tempted to go into some type of employment or business endeavor that was just a tad, and the word that's coming to my mind is probably not the best word, shady. It wasn't quite on the up and up. It wasn't horrible. Everybody does it. It's not an open door. It's not an open door. Well, this guy wants me to go into business with him, and he's not a, he's not a believer. It's not an open door for you. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You will regret that desperately. So how do you determine what you walk through and what you walk past? It's not an open door if it contradicts something in God's Word. Also, you need to talk to godly friends that will help you choose what doors to go through and what doors to pass. I just didn't say go talk to friends. I didn't say go talk to friends. You're friendly with everybody, but you're not friends with everybody. Are you with me? You're friendly with everybody, but you're not friends you, you, you go find two or three godly friends and go ask them what they think about what you're sensing, what you're thinking about doing. I had a guy call me when I was in Florida. He said, I need to talk to you when you come back. I got some, I got some things that are going on in my head and I need to run them past you first. Now, why? Is that because I'm the great guru of know-everything? He just thought of me as someone that could give him biblical advice. Who do you have in your life 
that is farther on down the road spiritually than you are, that are closer to Jesus than you are, that when you mature as a Christian, you want to be like them. Go talk to them. Go ask them questions. But you know the problem? We go talk to our friends because our friends will tell us what we want to hear. They won't push me. They'll agree with me. You know, how, you know how you know you really got a friend? They disagree with you. They love, they love you enough to disagree with you. We bought into this lie that if we love someone, we have to affirm everything that they do. And they come up with a new identity. They come up with any idea. And because we love them, we affirm them. We don't love them. We want to avoid the conflict, the uncomfortableness. Find somebody that loves you enough to say, Mark, you are out of your mind. That's a friend. That's a friend. Why do we have, I heard a testimony of someone that regretted their gender transition and this person said, if only someone had told me I was doing the wrong thing. Now, I don't know what that person's situation was. Maybe somebody did and they were just so gung-ho to do it. I, I don't know. But what their testimony was, now that they regretted their transition, they said, if, if, if somebody would just told me, what was down this road for me? Do you, do, you, do you love a friend enough to risk your friendship, losing that friendship because you didn't affirm them? Because you thought, not your thought, not your opinion, it didn't match up with Scripture. Who cares about your opinion? It's what Scripture says. You, ha you love them enough to say this doesn't match up with a disciple of Jesus Christ. We bought a lie about affirming. Major league. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise people will listen to advice. Any old fool thinks what they're doing is right, but wise people will listen to to advice and Hebrews talks a little bit about the type of people that you ought to look for when you go look for somebody with advice Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says solid food is for the mature so there are some Christians who are mature and there are some Christians who are not mature Paul said if you're an infant you need milk but solid food the meat of the word is for mature people who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil. Go find those people. Go find those people. Well, I don't want to go talk to her. I think I know what she'll say. Better go talk to her.
And then not only do we test the open door through God's word, not only do we get godly advice from godly friends who are more mature in the faith than we are, we rely on God's supernatural intervention. Remember when Paul says, I'm just praying that God would open a door for me. I, I, I desperately need God for you to, sh- to show me where you want me to go. And you've got to make it plain to me, God, because I can be pretty hard-headed. God, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to fall flat on my face unless you show me the right way. And I've got to be humble enough, realistic enough to be able to say, I will mess it up on my own. God, help me through the people I talk to. Help me through Scripture. But if you've got to, do a miracle in my life that keeps me from going through the wrong door. You need to rely on God's supernatural intervention. Solomon in the Old Testament was made king of all of Israel. And Solomon's prayer after he was done that in 1 Kings chapter 3. Speaking of himself, he says, Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people too numerous to count our number. So give your servant, he's talking about himself, a discerning heart. Oh, for a, oh for government officials that would pray that prayer. But they couldn't get elected. You do know that, don't you? They'd have to keep it quiet during the election season. Because if people were really out in their faith, they'd be, they'd be nailed to the wall. That's why I really wonder if sincere Christians could ever get elected without compromising your faith. So give your ser- servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great group of people they say God you need to do something that I can't do on my own your future my future is largely determined by the doors we walk through the doors that we walk past and doors that we shut largely determined by those. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you haven't been born again, you haven't accepted Christ, you haven't received Christ, whatever kind of terminology do you want to put on that, this message was not for you. Because this message was for disciples of Jesus Christ on how to make good choices in your life. Because you don't have to be a Christian to make good choices. You don't have to be a Christian to fix your marriage up. You don't have to be a Christian to make good financial choices. You don't have to be a Christian to turn over a leaf, a new leaf in your life. You don't have to be a Christian to get your finances all straightened out. You can do that in the flesh. But for you to make good spiritual choices, there's a door that you have to walk through first. And Jesus Christ, he says, I 
am the door. See, there's a, there's a decision you make. You can make all these good decisions without walking through the Jesus door and still go to hell. He gets us. You can wash all the feet you want to wash and you'll still go to hell if you haven't repented and believed and walked through the Jesus door. And once you've done that, the door of discipleship is then open for you. And all these spiritual decisions that I'm talking about today are applicable to you, but not until. So, I, you know, I've heard this message, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm not going to walk through that door. That's great. Now, I'm not a Christian, but, I, I, you know, that's a good decision. And I'll pat you on the back for that decision. And yet, but you still go to hell if you're not a Christian. If you haven't walked through the Jesus door. You can give all the money you want to. You can give all the money to church you want to. You can teach Sunday school. You can help up in the kids' ministry. All you want to. Do all kinds of great and good things. But if you haven't walked through the Jesus door, all those goes for naught. Now, if you disagree with me, you believe that you're saved by works. You believe that you're saved by doing good stuff. And you can't get too far in Scripture by seeing that that is false. So, have you walked through the Jesus door? Why do you do that, Mark? YBH, yes, but how? It's, it's a walk of repentance and a walk of belief. Repentance means to turn. It literally means to turn. It means to no longer start thinking about the stuff I used to thinking about, no longer trying to save myself, no longer to thinking how I can get by in this life by my own devices, and it's to turn and trust in Jesus. And Jesus died for my sins, and there's nothing good I can do to save myself. It's, it's, it's a door of repentance, and it's a door of It's a Jesus door. And aren't you glad? Because all these religious doors that we have, we got a Jesus door, and we got a Buddha door, and we got a Islam door, and we got a Jehovah's Witness door, and we, we've got a Roman Catholic door, and, and, and we've got a, a, a Mormon door, and we've got a New Age door, and we've got to be a good person door. And, but aren't you glad that Jesus said, I am the door? He said, I am the way. So this morning, you've either got to believe him or call him a liar, one or the other. There's really no other ground on that. He either lied there or you believe him. You take him at his word. We sing. We take him at his word. So before all these good spiritual choices of doors that we're going to walk through, I'm imploring you today to walk through the Jesus door first. And he will enable you by his Holy Spirit to make good choices about doors you walk through, about doors you walk past, and doors that you shut. Well, I'm going to shut this door on drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to shut this door on smoking. I'm not going to, I'm not going to smoke any weed anymore. I'm going to shut that ah, good for you. You'll still go to hell if you don't walk through the Jesus door. 
Have you walked through that door? Really? Our servers are coming to the table. And the very act of getting up out of your seat can be an act of repentance and belief. That you're no longer trusting in yourself or the way of the world, but you're trusting in what is symbolized here, which is Jesus' death on the cross with the bread which symbolizes his broken body and the cup which symbolizes his blood shed for you. Have you walked through that door? Well, I've been coming to church all my life. I don't give a rip, and the Bible doesn't either. I walk through the Jesus door. Father, I pray for those in this room and those that are watching on the internet. And I pray especially for those that have never walked through the Jesus door. I don't care if their parents walk through it, if their grandparents walk through it. I don't care if they raised in this church all their life. Would you help them to swallow their pride and walk through the Jesus door and trust him in repentance and in belief. For those who have walked through that door, help us with our choices. Help us know which doors to walk through, walk past, and which doors to close as we walk with you as a disciple of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.